0: Hello everyone and welcome to the episode of the Discomfort Zone podcast. The idea to cross the ape man with the anunnaki. Slaves work animals created for one person to burden the gods. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Uh, gosh, we really have to change that uh, song. I'm, I have begun working on a new one, so uh, I don't know how long it will take, but I uh, promise me that will be. I promise that we'll be updating it soon because it really is uh, rather irrelevant right now. Um, and for those who are watching, you might have noticed. Welcome to the first stream with a uh, live video. Um, for those who are yeah watching online I hope everything is okay there's uh, as usual the traditional technical difficulties and I have become rather accustomed to only speaking and not noticing uh, where I look what I'm doing so I'm going to try and be more conscious of that now that I'm on live video but bear with me Um, yes there's a link yeah, MSP Waves, and you can see everything really over there. Just go to mspwaves.com if you're watching this later as well. All the Sorry, all the live shows have uh, are streamed there, uh, audio and video for those. Um, okay, and in chat, thank you very much for joining. Rondon, as always, this new hacker girl, Alien Honey Gecko, thank you very, very much for being here. It is, as always, a tremendous pleasure uh, to have you here and to be here myself. Um, yes, beginners, <laughs> if I suddenly projectile vomit towards the uh, camera, I should uh, grab a few views, but nonetheless, we are here not just for my uh, pretty face, uh, but to get down to serious business, and before I move on, I would like to apologize once again for missing last week's show, um, yeah, it was a lot going on, and I just unfortunately couldn't make it, I was rather disappointed because it was a good one, but luckily... Another week has passed in the blink of an eye, and we're here for a uh, brand new uh, episode. And this one I thought we'd do something a little bit different. I feel like I say that a lot. I'm not sure. Do you feel that there's a certain theme and like uh, direction and style that uh, is, is consistent? Or do you think that every episode you have no idea what to expect? Uh, <laughs> let me know. But uh, I, I feel that this one is a little bit different because... Um, I'm gonna be taking something that Roomvelo uh, mentions in this uh, chapter, and I'm gonna be focusing on that and talking a lot about that one uh, specific idea because it is a very uh, large one. Um, and for those who are watching, I'm gonna be uh, looking at chat every once in a while and trying to catch everything there. So if I miss anything in chat and etc., you know by now, you know I'm doing my best. I'm only human and uh, bear with me. I'll hope I'll make it worth it uh, by the end Excellent. Oh, I'm glad you feel that way, Rondon. Yes, I'm trying to go for a theme, and this week we're going to be uh, focusing less on getting through the book and getting through the subjects that Drunvalo is talking about, and we're going to be focusing on one specific part, which is—it's interesting. I—I I don't obviously uh, mention everything that Drunvalo says in the book, and uh, some of the things. I feel are a bit uh, out there, <laughs> uh, not necessarily for me, and I'm sure some people would be able to uh, uh, relate or at least uh, you know accept to a certain point. But some things might be too far and drive some people away, and there's no reason to get into that because there's a lot of good information. Uh, just to uh, curb your curiosity, uh, things like the fact that uh, the alien beings who arrived on Earth approached the uh, dolphins as the most intelligent species here to ask them for permission to uh, be here. So things like that I usually skip over, um, unless they are obviously pertinent and uh, rather crucial, but Runvalo does enjoy uh, the odd uh, example and tale here and there that aren't necessarily absolutely relevant or indeed uh, that important to the narrative. Um, having said all that, this, this idea that we're talking about today is rather crucial and has some very far reaching um, effects and uh, uh, um, consequences. And so I wanted to focus on this basic idea so it was two weeks ago, for those who are following, and we'll just go over very quickly the few things that we were dealing with. We mentioned very, very briefly the Halls of Amenti as the place where the act of creating humankind took place, um, a not a physical geographical place, but a, a spiritual realm to a certain degree. And the two uh, beings, the Nephilim in um, Drunvalo's language, who are the Anunnaki in uh, Sitchin's books, Um, And the Syrians who came from Sirius and the combination of these two distinct uh, species uh, gave birth to our new species, and really in Drunvalo's words, uh, the new direction in an evolutionary term. So each species uh, carries with it a certain evolutionary branch. And, uh, you know, success or failure or evolve into something else, that's sort of the language that he uses here. Now, I talk about all this because... All of that, more or less, I mean, to a certain degree, is uh, coincides with what Sitchin talks about, and indeed Druvalov, as I said, mentions him uh, in person and, and his book specifically, saying that it's very important uh, information that he has in there and that Thoth agrees with nearly everything the Sitchin says, which is a, a pretty uh, big statement coming from, I think, a competing, as it were, author. But at the same time, Druvalo then sort of branches off to his own, or Thoth's, version of history, and this is what we're going to focus on today. So before we get into the actual uh, subject of this week's episode, um, Druvalo mentions two very famous, I think, uh, ideas, names, and those are um, the two continents, Lemuria, the lesser known, and Atlantis, the more, the more famous of the two. Now we're going to be talking about Atlantis quite a bit. In fact, both Drunvalo Melchizedek and uh, Gerald Clark um, talk a lot about Atlantis and specifically the Atlantean culture, the Atlantean religion at the time. And it's a it's a pretty big subject that takes up a lot. It's sort of like Sitchin's own. It's a it's another world that we sort of will delve into, um, but not yet. For now, we're just going to mention the very very basics. Ah, and actually, I wanted to say something before I continue, because last week, I will get back to the point, I promise, but last week I found out, um, sadly, that Gerald Clark passed away in on June uh, in June this year, uh, a few months ago, and so I felt, since I mentioned him a lot, and he's impacted me so much, I would share uh, the sad news that uh, I'm actually not uh, too sure of all the details. The only thing that I could find that, that spoke about it was an Instagram post by his wife. Um, so that actually leaves, I think, the only one of the four researchers alive, still alive today, is Michael Tellinger, which is an interesting thought. These uh, great men, and Gerald Clark was indeed, in my mind, a very prolific, great uh, uh understander, and um, researcher into these subjects and so we're going to get to him but I felt the need to at least update and let you know that it happened uh, very recently and I'd only just found out last week. So we'll be talking about Gerald Clark later and we'll be talking about Atlantis uh, from his research as well but for now we're going to focus on Lemuria and for those who uh, don't have never heard of Lemuria which why why should you? Um, It's a lesser known uh, continent, and I think in recent years it's gained more um, acknowledgement and more people have read about it and heard about it, it's sort of a precursor to Atlantis. So if you can imagine whatever you're imagining about Atlantis being this ancient secret continent with a uh, advanced civilization that was wiped off in some kind of cataclysmic event, then Lemuria was a very, very similar uh, story uh, that happened before. Uh, about uh, a few tens of thousands of years before uh, Atlantis came and as Lemuria sunk so Atlantis in the same event uh, rose and began that cycle and so these two continents although obviously they were different different time periods uh, they were very close they were very similar and the story the linear story um, is woven through those two continents as a very crucial part in our uh, species history. And so we are going to be talking about a lot of that uh, in there. Uh, Thoth, in fact, uh, in his words in the book The Emerald Tablets, claims to be an Atlantean king. And so his perspective and Druvalo's from there is obviously very, uh, it's it's described as being very intimate and someone who was actually part of that uh, culture. So we have a lot to look forward to, but for now, we're actually going to focus on something very special that happened there. And that is that, uh, oh, San photon. photon Oh, I have to welcome, so many people have joined, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Crimson Clad, thank you for joining. L.P. F- LP Faust, Revised Sociology, San Luis photon Thank you all so much for being here for the first video episode. Um, so, in that time, we're, we're, we're talking about... Let's put this in time period. Following Sitchin's timeline, we spoke of Adam and Eve being uh, created in one of the later sort of specimens. And then they were put in the Garden uh, of Eden with Enlil and they were working in the fields. And we're not told too much about what happened during that time. Uh, We're told even less in the Bible. And then Sitchin talks about what he... uh, what he knows and what he discovered and so Thoth now brings an, uh, an extra perspective as it were and that during that time there were people who were taken from uh, where they were created um, in Africa or according to them on an island next to Africa and they were put in this uh, new continent which was Lemuria And they were allowed to really uh, develop freely and weren't uh, enslaved there, but were actually given the opportunity to uh, advance spiritually. And I'm not going to get into the details of how and what the society was in this part, because we're focusing on a very, very specific uh, event that took place, which was there were two, there was a couple, Uh, Two people there whom, you know what, I actually can't remember the names right now. I will put it in the uh, end of the episode, I hope. Um, But there were two people on Lemuria who managed to uh, achieve something very, very significant. And that was that they had managed to conceive a child um, without the physical intimate act um, they had sort of uh, an outer body experience on a on an astral plane, and within that astral plane, they uh, they the woman uh, conceived and bore a son. And these are these are Drunvalo's words again, so we'll we'll get into it as we go. But just to put it all out there, right from the beginning, in his words, they had realised that what they had done was uh, remarkable. This was the first time that people had done such a thing and they had actually uh, they realized later as people started uh, dying that they had become immortal and so this act of in the astral plane um, having this intimate act of the creation of life was something that you know automatically not, um, not earned you the right but was a physical reaction as it were and the beings the three entities the uh you know the father the mother and the son um were all Im- became immortal um that is the story according to Drew Below. now why would i choose such a tough topic <laughs> to talk about um in a podcast where i specifically try to avoid any of the uh, too crucial you know not try to convince anyone of anything This idea sounds absolutely insane for many, many reasons. I mean, obviously, the idea of people becoming immortal uh, is already rather uh, difficult to swallow. And then for the idea of people uh, visiting willingly the astral plane, being able to decisively do actions and have those actions affect what happens here on Earth to the point of creating a child, all sound about as far-fetched, I think, as can be. And so I wanted to break this down, and that's really the, the core uh, issue that we're going to be talking about in the episode uh, today, which is what is this process of uh, creation? And what we're going to be talking about is something which I will term now, uh, we'll give it a term, we'll coin the term that will be our basis. Now there are many, many different names for it, and we'll go through them, but we need to start from somewhere and so the force, the force of nature as it were, that we're talking about today is what we call uh, sexual energy. Now sexual energy, I'm specifically choosing that term uh, because it has a very specific connotation because we have a very specific experience uh, with that force. And so the term sexual energy obviously uh, relates specifically to the sexual act in any way shape or form and usually, the sexual gratification. We don't usually think of the same kind of sort of sexual energy and calling it that. If we're talking about, um, you know, the act of trying to create a life, trying to be uh, become pregnant, uh, then we usually use other terms like conceive. In the Bible, we use to know. We have this sort of uh, separation that's happened between sexuality, especially in our modern times and, uh, uh, you know, uh, creating life and becoming uh, pregnant. Um, Oh, I can see a few comments here. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) it's all good. So, the reason I wanted to call it that was to uh, draw attention to the fact that this force of nature has many, many, many different um, names and different ways that we can uh, perceive it. And we're gonna go through a few of them now. And so the first and probably easiest one to draw the connection is uh, Tantra. And so the idea of Tantra, for those who don't know, it's a spiritual practice that comes from the East, comes from India. And the idea behind it is to harness the sexual energy and to use the sexual energy in order to uh, achieve enlightenment. And so here immediately... uh, This is, you know, a very different system, obviously very separate from what uh, Drunvilo talks about in Atlantis, and yet there's a very interesting core principle about the relationship and the connection between uh, the sexual energy and uh, enlightenment or immortality, which are seemingly interchangeable um, to what we can understand here. So the idea of Tantra and the sort of basis behind it, um, within the Indian philosophy and medical system, uh, their, their, their system of perceiving the human body, there is a force which they call Kundalini, which um, we, we should translate as the sexual energy, the force um, that we recognize as that uh, sexual energy. But Kundalini is treated very, very differently. First of all, it's a completely spiritual term. And this term, I've spoken about it, uh, we spoke about it last episode, in fact, uh, if you recall, and I'm going to uh, reiterate it very quickly, that it's a force that can be awakened within, that it relates to the chakras being opened and that force being allowed to uh, climb up the spine and, and sort of bring all of those chakras into alignment and become open. And this experience can often be a very powerful one, and indeed it's used, again, um, as a form to attain enlightenment. And so this kundalini force is really, um, as described, a force, a natural force within our body that resides in our uh, stomach, and it's described as being sort of coiled up like a snake. And then when it's uh, energized, when it's awakened, then it can Uh, spring up through uh, the spine uh, and up through the crown chakra uh, and beyond, etc. So, this idea of having this uh, sexual energy being uh, connected to our spiritual path is something that we see very clearly in, uh, in a lot of Indian spiritual traditions. Now, there are lots of other traditions, in fact, if we think about it, that talk about this in a roundabout way. And I think one of the most uh, famous two, in my mind, are the uh, Judaism and Christianity. Within Judaism and Christianity, there is a very firm belief among the um, ascetic monks uh, for each and those who want to um, abstain from physical uh, sins, as it were, or from um, uh, sort of contaminating the body more in Judaism. Uh, it's described that you must refrain from, at least from, uh, 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 as it says, spilling the seed in vain, so masturbation, but any kind of usage of the sexual energy that is not for the creation of life. And so that's at least in the Jewish uh, tradition. In the Christian tradition, it goes even further to say that there should be no uh, sexual engagement of any kind for, let's say, the priests. Uh, Again, some of them I'm doing generalizations, but if you look back throughout history, you can see in these two traditions that there was a strong aversion from uh, awakening and and having anything to do with the sexual side of life. And indeed, we can see that due to the Christian and Catholic uh, traditions, our society as a general suffered a great deal of psychological damage that comes from uh, the impedance and disturbing of these natural processes, the sexual force being uh, one of it. So, um, sorry, I'm just checking food chat <laughs> yeah, on a rant. Anyway, so I know this is a bit of a touchy subject and I know that it's uh, easy to fall into all kinds of, uh, yes, uh, 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 well, different perspectives on it, let's say. But... I'd like to share with you a perspective that might be a little different than what we are used to about these subjects. And we'll get into other uh, ascetic traditions as well, but there's another form of this energy that we all, I think, have heard of, and in fact, we have a word for it in English, and yet we might not connect it. And that is uh, the term uh, muse, or the muses, who, for those who don't know, in Greek um, philosophy or I should say theosophy as it were in the Greek tradition the muses were these um, not godlike but uh, uh, beings non-human entities who would come and bestow the inspiration for the artistic creative uh, uh, arts and it was obviously considered a, a um, a talent or some kind of benefit to be able to contact these muses but they were always fickle and it was nothing you could really uh, rely on and it was very much uh, considered that the ability to create and definitely the ability to create um, you know the best artists as it were uh, came from these muses however it seems that when we look at the modern day interpretation of that what we really are talking about is again This same force, and so we're going to see in a minute why that is and how we can see it, but this uh, sexual force, the kundalini, the part in ourselves which is uh, in charge of creating life, is the same energy that is used in creativity, specifically that ability to uh, be creative. And the idea of the muses coming uh, and bestowing their gift upon us is obviously very, much in place with the Greek tradition of all of these external forces being some kind of anthropomorphized entities that were coming into contact. But nevertheless, they understood that this this force was something very, very different from our internal consciousness. It was something that we couldn't really uh, control to a certain degree. And again, that reminds us a little bit of how we perceive this uh, sexual energy. Now, We're going through these rather quickly, so let me know if at any point uh, we've got something that I need to go over because I can't see anything specifically uh, sticking out for me. So let me know. Maybe write in... uh, Yeah, if you've got a question, then uh, tag me in Discord. So where does that leave us, really? Well, we still don't really know what it is. And obviously, it's one of the most mysterious, um, uh, sort of famous uh, forces that we come into contact with. It's part of our selves. Obviously, the hormonal changes that we go through uh, have a huge impact on us. And indeed, you can see the uh, evidence of uh, sexual uh, power having um, a lot of control over many people. And yet, we're not really sure what it is because ultimately, it's what is responsible for creating all life not just within humans but everywhere and it's what was responsible for creating every uh, each one of us and so it's it's really difficult to unite these two very very distinct very very polarized opposites where on the one hand we have this uh, completely you know sacrilegious and juvenile and you know uh, impulsive animistic side of ourselves and at the same time it's what's responsible for the creativity the part of ourselves that makes us human and indeed for creating life uh, as we know it and possibly um, even the spiritual side of uh, reaching ascension so where how do we wrap our heads around all of this and this is really uh, I, I think we're just just about on time because we're going to be talking about a new uh, person who I don't think I've mentioned yet. But before we get to him, um, we're going to talk about Freud. Now, I don't mention Freud very much. I honestly haven't studied him a lot. Um, I sort of got a lot of the gist of what he was saying and, and felt it wasn't quite for me. But... His earlier work, I will say, is very interesting. And in it, he discusses a term that we probably have all heard of, another term for that sexual energy, which he called uh, libido. Now, a libido is not entirely just that same force in our language, but it's actually used to think of as more of a life force than a sexual force. And yet, we obviously recognize the two being the same. And for... Um, For Freud, the libido was what separated something from living and from being dead. It was that part of a body, an organism, that makes processes continue or indeed leaves uh, the host, the body, once it's finished and starts the process of decomposition. And so Freud's understanding of the libido is actually... It's interesting because he was sort of on the right track and if he just carried on in that direction instead of going way off to all the daddy issues that he suffered from, uh, it would have been very interesting to see where that would have left him. But yes, exactly soundways felt and I actually only saw that after uh, I said, but yeah, Freud did good um, dream work, but then abandoned it and he did some other uh, interesting uh, things. And yes, obviously, when we mention Freud and his shortcomings, we must mention Jung and how he, uh, uh, well, I don't know if you say complimented or simply replaced Freud, but there is a third German psychologist from around the same era who was a contemporary, contemporary of Jung's, uh, younger, but definitely they were around at the same time, much lesser known, and I think Uh, more important than both and I don't say that lightly I have a huge amount of respect for Jung Um, but as it is I feel that he might have done more for a lot of things for humanity than uh, even the other two and so we're going to talk about him and his name was actually uh, Wilhelm Reich uh, but we'll call him William for short or Billy but uh, (laughs) William Reich um was an amazing character. Has anyone chat, heard, uh, read any of his books? Um, let me know if you have. He is, he's he's very, well actually today he's much more well-known again, as all of these things with time. Uh, but even if people have heard his name, it's usually in connection with Organite and all of that work. Um, and not many people have studied his work, uh, his earlier work as well. In fact, the first book of his that I read was called uh, The Function of the Orgasm and again in that title already you know uh it's a very hard book to not pick up and start snickering just at the title and yet it's the most scientific and it really does study on an evolutionary biological and uh, psychological level the function of the or- uh, orgasm organ is real oh, nice Sound waves photon yes so it's 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 a very interesting book and it's what started him on his journey. And indeed, if we're going to be talking about um, the sexual force, we can't possibly uh, ignore his research. And so I think for those who have never heard of him or know a little bit, it's worth uh, mentioning just giving a brief outline of uh, who he is. Exactly. He is known. Well, he should be known. He's one of the few authors whose books were burned in the United States in the 1980s. I can't remember what year. 83, 84, something like that. But very, very late uh, post-hippie movement. He became more famous with the hippies they found his work on sexuality sexual freedom and took it to a very different direction and he was um publicly you know shamed and dre- well we'll get into the end of his life which was much sadder uh later but first um yeah look it up by the way seriously it's crazy when i heard that they would burnt his books i i really couldn't believe it but he started out in Germany, post uh, Freud and Jung, and was faced with an overwhelming population in dire need of, well, of psychological uh, <laughs> help, as I think most people post uh, World War Two and post World War One really in Germany were. And he opened a free clinic, and the free clinic was about um, uh, um, specifically focused on uh, sexual. Uh, psychological uh, dysfunction and um, problems and that was really his focus and his expertise and he worked and operated in this clinic for over a decade I can't remember exactly how long and he had a few places that he would worked and he was well respected um, for most of that time within uh, his his uh, community of peers and with that he was doing all of the Um, research that would serve him later, Um, not specifically intending to. He was obviously treating all of these people, but as he treated more and more people and found these same problems coming up again and again, um, he started to draw his own conclusions and he started to focus a lot on the importance of uh, sexuality, sexual freedom, sexual release, and the sexual force on our psychological health specifically. So this isn't physical, this definitely wasn't spiritual. He wasn't, to my knowledge, uh, that much of a spiritual person. All of his texts, all of his writings, everything stems from the uh, the science behind it. And uh, um, he treated it all with the utmost respect for facts and, and really uh, stayed very well clear from any kind of hypothesis that he couldn't prove. Having said that, the conclusions that he reached were so outrageous and earth-shattering that he nonetheless uh, was shunned obviously and called a fraud and other various things but in his earlier days as he was still practicing psychology he had this growing interest in um, the role that sexuality plays and sexual hang-ups and how they affect our adult uh, life and health and so he continued his research and again he published this book The Function of the Orgasm in which he explained a lot of it but by researching it, he came across uh, something, and this this is the purpose of bringing his name up uh, in this episode, which was he discovered a new force. Now, that's a very strange thing to say. Um, it's hard to imagine anyone discovering a new force in 1950. Um, when we use the term force, I mean, people discover chemicals, chemicals, Uh, People definitely discover, you know, new compounds. But a force is something very, very fundamental. And to find a force that has never been shown in scientific studies anywhere in history is really outrageous to begin with. Anyone who's claiming such a thing will need to have a lot of very hard evidence to back it up. The problem was that uh, he had that evidence and the evidence came in numerous forms he managed to utilize this force, this energy, uh, to power a light bulb, to affect uh, water molecules, to uh, affect uh, um, magnetic flow. So he showed empirical evidence of this force, this energy, interacting um, with, with with his environment. And despite all of this, he still was uh, utterly ignored. Um in the end I, I the thing that he is probably most famous for today is called uh, orgonite and that is based on his uh, invention which was the um orgon uh, therapy Organ, yeah orgon therapy and so the force that he had discovered he had a laboratory in uh, orgon organ and that's why he named it uh, orgon and um he, he started uh, working with it and one of the biggest applications that he found was for healing and for curing uh, different diseases. And so he found that this energy was an important part of human beings' uh, bodies in general and their level of health. He found that it came in much, much larger quantities and concentrations from bodies of water, from water itself. And he, as he was experimenting with it, he found that there was a different relationship between uh, organic and inorganic materials. And by layering a box with organic and inorganic uh, layers, he managed to sort of concentrate and trap more organ um, inside than would escape out. And so he would sort of ri- raise the levels in these uh, boxes that were with walls of these layers. And people would go, people who had uh, cancer or diseases would go and sit inside this box and would stay there for however long it would be 20 minutes, an hour and as they're staying there, this organon would flow through their bodies and would have a very uh, positive healing effect to the point of showing tumors decreasing, uh, vitality increasing, etc. etc. If you're interested in any of this, I have to mention, please go and look it up. He's got a lot of research today. There are a lot of people who are uh, following up. On his uh, research, and um, it's 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 unbelievable. It really is. I've read a lot of various alternative therapies for cancer, and I think his is really something else. Um, yeah, so we'll uh, we won't go any more into the organ therapy, but that is definitely one of the more important applications that he saw. But from that, um, people have then built created these sort of they look a little bit like crystals. They could be uh, pyramids or different shapes where, again, they have these layers of organic and inorganic material and that concentrates uh, the organon. And these, these um, artifacts, these structures are called organite. And that's the more famous uh, term that people know today. And so what he uh, discovered was that, among other things, obviously, this uh, organon was a force uh, in nature. And he he wrote a lot of books about the subject, and it's really interesting because this is again the description of a new force that hasn't been documented ever in any scientific journal, um, and yet he is proving its existence with various scientific uh, experiments that are showing that it's working, and. The thing about it was that for him at least, and I I believe this is the case, although I'm not entirely sure because I haven't researched it specifically, but he never mentions the organon as being something that was brought up before in any kind of spiritual uh, practices. The only thing that he sort of uh, uh, relates it to in my memory specifically by name is the libido, which uh, was Freud's term again and so he he makes the claim that this uh, sexual energy, this sexual force is this organon, is again uh, this same force of nature that exists not only amongst humans in the creation of life but indeed uh, throughout the cosmos and he uh, claims and, and, and uh, shows to a certain degree that this uh, nat- this force of nature affects earth in a cosmic level uh, on a cosmic scale as well, there's the uh, a tidal wave of uh, organon energy that's wrapped around enveloping uh, the earth and is actually uh, causing some of its behavior. But never mind that now, we won't get off topic too much. <laughs> for our intents and purposes, how are we doing for time? Okay. Yes, right, was a gene. Oh, I'm glad you, you've you heard of him. Some, a lot of people here. Nice. Um, so yes, yes. Ah oh. Uh, Soundways Photon says his best book was The Mass Psychology of Fascism, and I find myself quoting that book uh, so often. But again, it's not related to Organon, the Mass Psychology, uh, slightly, but it's uh, more about, indeed, our times and coronavirus should definitely uh, make it more relevant. Um just go and read all of his books any of them uh, will do and you won't regret it as far as i'm concerned i bought his book in this crazy weird secondhand market years ago before i really knew him i think i'd heard of him but i didn't really know anything and i was uh, very surprised by this uh, uh, the title the function of the orgasm and i uh, i just started reading it it was incredible um and it really did teach me a lot of seeing what the sexual energy really is, what um when we think about it in our day and age and in our daily life, we never really relate, and yet it's it's interesting that this is probably the most powerful force uh, that we have. um indeed, we talk about women you know creating life and growing life in their womb, which is definitely true, and yet that spark of creation that starts it all. Uh, does come from this very, very mysterious uh, sexual energy, power, force of nature, um, which we don't understand, and we, uh, to a certain extent, we should say that we do, you know... um, look very lightly upon it in our daily lives I think in today's modern society it's no longer something that is in any way uh, revered or looked upon as indeed something that can be a uh, spiritual practice Um, but it seems that throughout history that idea has been around in many many different um, religions, spiritual practices, uh, groups etc. And I think it's worth mentioning because this is something that we actually I uh, spoke about with a friend a while ago, and it's so here we have a certain paradox, sort of a paradox, where on the one hand we're saying, you know, uh, sexual energy is something that can be used for spirituality, and so uh, we shouldn't abuse it. We shouldn't be just using it for other purposes. We should be savoring it because it's something special. And at the same time, Reich has come and said, after having that Christianity um, you know, completely uh, demonize sexuality in any way and pushing it as far away from common life as possible, all of these people, the Germans specifically, as Reich found, but all over the world, had grave psychological problems that arose from that. And why is that? How can we explain um, these two sides? Where on the one hand, is it something that we need to cherish and not use and save for specifically what it was created for? Or is it something that it is uh, natural and important for our health and can cause uh, problems if we are not um, treating it as a natural part of our life? And so I think the answer lies in... Exactly which of those two, um, somewhere in between, as it were. With Christianity, the answer was simply a deny it, uh, uh, be, you know, uh, repress it, um, shun, do everything you can to push it away. Um, but if we look at spiritual practices, and I'm going to mention one more because I personally uh, feel more closely to it in Taoism, Taoism. Uh, We have a lot of practices relating to the sexual energy, but there it's not repression. It in fact is uh, conservation and indeed utilization. And so the idea behind it is not that you mustn't masturbate and you mustn't do anything sexual with anyone ever, but that you need to utilize that force within you, uh, conserve it and uh, um, use it to gain health. And so what Christianity and a lot of other religions did was they left people with nothing to do with this sexual force inside of them and yet told them that they mustn't do anything with it. And that's where the real problem starts. If someone is interested in utilizing it as a spiritual practice, then completely abstaining from any sexuality is not the only thing that's necessary and can cause psychological or physical harm. Uh, it needs to be done as uh, the utilization and, and indeed um, the practice that goes along with it. And that is exactly what we see with Tantra and with a lot of these things. There is a very, very strict, specific practice, uh, diet, um, you know, uh, physical exercise, meditation, all of these things that have to come along in order for it to not cause any harm and for it to be actually uh, beneficial. So it's important to note the difference between uh, those two. Um, I saw a question a while ago, uh, yeah, about Reich. okay. So we spoke about Reich's discovery. Um, what happened was that after he published and spoke and became more famous with treating cancer patients who came uh, to to what he has invented to the uh, for the organon therapy. There was an undercover reporter, and she came to the house to experience... I think she wasn't actually undercover, if I'm not mistaken. But she came to the house to report, to write a story about Reich, and she was uh, probably (laughs) paid uh, by someone. And the piece that she wrote described Reich's uh, laboratory and his experiments as uh, orgies, as complete uh, sexual promiscuity, uh, 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 people completely, you know, going over for, for, for no reason... Absolute lies made the whole thing up a complete uh, nonsense. I know, media lying crazy. But obviously, that's what stuck. His name got out that he was this uh, uh, sexual, you know, pervasive uh, uh, character that needed to be dealt with. And indeed, he was ordered um, to come to court. He was charged with, I don't know, misconduct, something ridiculous. Um, And he was served. And he refused to go. He refused to accept the charges. He said, this is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, there's nothing behind them. And I uh, he just completely refused to acknowledge it. And so they had the trial without him. He was found guilty. And he was put in prison for the rest of his life. He was 50, I can't remember exactly, but 50 something, 60 something when he went into prison. And he died there um, a few years No. Quite a few years later, I can't remember exactly the dates, but that was his story. And then, obviously years and years later, and even then as well, um, people discovered his work, discovered his research. Uh, In fact, his uh, laboratory was burnt down. Um, There was a fire, and the FBI were called in, and uh, it's still a bit hazy as to what exactly happened, a little suspicious for those who are so inclined. Um... But all of his research was... Not all of it, but a lot of his research was burnt. His laboratory, the equipment, you know, everything that was going there. Was, uh, he had a lot of researchers there with him as well. Um, yeah, yeah, he died in prison. So, yeah, unbelievable, you know. All, all of these stories of, of geniuses. Very sad. Anyway, uh, we won't dwell on the past. We will be very, very grateful that, uh, that we did get so much of his work nonetheless, and that we can study uh, what he said today because I think it's very, very unique, in, specifically in, in scientific realms. And if you are so inclined and, and, and have a more of a scientific mind and are looking for some of these, you know, uh, uh, subjects, Reich is one of the best places to start. Uh, Drumvillow is not as <laughs> scientific, to say the least, um, and Reich absolutely was. So, okay, wow, we went off on a huge tangent with him. How are we doing? Okay, nice, nice, nice. Uh, yeah, and and uh, we could do a whole show. I could do a whole series just on Rack's work and what he said, and he had a huge influence on me as well. But we'll continue and sort of come back to where we started from, and uh, I think that will be just in time. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Freud had a grudge, absolutely. So we see here uh, if we recall the uh, story that we started from that after looking at all of these different perspectives on this very very basic uh, uh practice as it were we can now start to think what would it mean um you know to to have sex to conceive a child uh in an astral plane this is obviously a physical act there is very little that we can conceive of, that we can imagine about it being uh, spiritual. And if we imagine the astral plane as being a completely ethereal, non-physical, spiritual plane, um, it would be hard for us to marry these two ideas. Until we think of the sexual energy not as merely uh, a physical one, but indeed a spiritual one as well. Hang on, do I have a problem with the uh, stream? Is everything Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry, if there's anything, let me know. Otherwise, I will carry on. So, how do we understand this? Well, it seems that this force is the force that brings uh, uh, beings into a physical body and is the force that takes life with it when it leaves. And so, although um, this is the force that creates physical life, as we can see, and this is the force that we uh, most connect with this material plane, nevertheless, that seems to be not exactly the case. It seems that as we look at the spiritual aspect of it, the spirituality, the ethereal part of life, comes with this uh, sexual force. And so the physical body is merely a physical vessel that needs to contain this Uh, life force, this libido uh, within it. So if we try to think of that life force, that libido, as something that is not purely physical but indeed is the spiritual uh, ethereal aspect of physical life then we can see how these two beings uh, who obviously when we're talking about the Atlanteans, they're not regular human beings and they're not Neanderthals, they are closer to uh, spirituality Um, and they're more uh, ethereal, or at least more in touch with their ethereal side. For example, if we imagine that they can have an outer body experience, that they can travel to the astral plane at will, then perhaps we can start imagining that they can harness this uh, life force, this libido, and use it on the astral plane as well. And here again, when uh, Dhruvalo talks about this, this doesn't mean, you know, uh, 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 having sexual intercourse in astral plane, meaning there is no physical contact in that same way. It's not, it's not like having a wet dream, okay? It's more of uh, combining these two uh, life forces in order to create a new one. And that, as we can see, It brings us uh, back to a lot of the things that we've spoken about, whether it's the two polar opposites coming together and merging. Uh, This seems to be a very, very basic fact. And when we look at the most uh, minute details of conception of creating life, we see that on a DNA level, uh, this is more or less what's happening. It's not a physical act. It's an exchange of information. It's almost so abstract um, that it's hard to conceive, but again this is the uh, this is the ignition. this is the beginning of the spark that then leads to life growing. And indeed, if we compare the two, um, the actual force, uh, you know the the act of conception can take uh, seconds or less in certain species, but usually the act of growing that life inside takes much, much longer. That's because the act of growing the life is, the physical act itself and so once those two beings uh, uh, had uh, you know conceived in the astral plane uh, the mother couldn't become pregnant in the astral plane because becoming pregnant is the actually the physical aspect of it that only happens once they had returned uh, to the physical realm and if we if we look at these ideas from a very uh, different perspective from what we're used to as, you know, uh, uh, um, I can't remember what film it was, but this idea of, like, if you have sex with a ghost, is it cheating? Like, how do we marry this very earthly, uh, material uh, aspect of sex and the spiritual, ethereal side of uh, beings? Um, we can start to see that perhaps... It's our mistake of thinking of this sexual act of conception as being such a purely physical animalistic one and being much more coming from the spiritual, ethereal side uh, of our lives. That was a mouthful. Okay, I apologize. I promised myself at the beginning of this episode that I would try and talk uh, more slowly. And I think I failed miserably. The thing is, I'll just tell you now, I, when I get excited about something, when I'm passionate about what I'm talking about, uh, I talk very fast. And it's a problem, so I'm going to try and work on it more. But when we talk about these subjects, it's just there's so much that I would like to say. So I hope that that was uh, uh, understandable and at least coherent enough for you to follow, even if it wasn't... Um, in terms of the idea, coherent enough for you to uh, follow, yeah. There's, uh, where is it? There's a there's a film. I can't remember what film it is. It's a comedy, and the uh, the woman comes into contact with a ghost, and then the question is, uh, yeah, whether whether she's allowed. I can't remember actually the details to be honest. But there was this question, and it's an interesting one to to consider as you know, comparing uh, the physical act with the, you know, uh, ethereal act. Um, Because again, like sometimes I think in some people in their minds, the physical act is actually meaningless or, you know, merely uh, pleasurable. Whereas emotionally, as it were, you know, mentally, um, falling in love with someone or wanting to spend time with them, even if it's platonic, can be considered more of a... uh, you know, cheating emotionally uh, than indeed the physical act. I I, uh, I don't need to draw any conclusions about me. I am certainly uh, have a strong aversion to any intimate act than, uh, you know, behind the back and without the other. But it raises the question of where do these things happen? Where do they come from? You know, within the act of, of conception of creating a life, um, is there some spiritual element to it? Or does there have to be, as it were, a spiritual element to it? And in fact, if we... How much time do I have? Okay. If we think, if we recall last week, I'm pretty sure it was last week. No, maybe it wasn't. Um, there was a book about... Uh, a Russian book about Anastasia. I'm not sure if... Have I mentioned it before in the podcast? Anastasia? Anastasia? Um, A book about a Russian woman who lives in a taiga who is uh, very much living off the land. Um, I'm trying to think if I mentioned her in any of the episodes. It's an interesting book and I read, I think I did, I read it alongside Drunvalo and it was uh, the correlation between the two that was very, very interesting. But in there she said that when, um, I can't remember how she describes it, but sort of uh, pure conception, when it's truly a conception um, that's you know uh, um, without any uh, physical urges, as it were, impulses, but truly accepted and 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 uh, uh, with the with the wish to create a life as opposed to having a pleasurable experience, then the actual act itself is done almost um, without being aware, without being conscious of it. They, you fall into a sort of state of trance. And that seems to be a description of leaving the physical realm and actually uh, uh, entering into a certain uh, spiritual, ethereal uh, perspective. Um, so if you've read the book, that might help you. If you haven't, I probably won't at all. Um, I can see there's someone... <laughs> <laughs> That's, okay, I'm not going to read the uh, chat. If you want to uh, watch all of what chat is uh, talking about as the show goes on, then please make sure you uh, uh, follow us on Discord and for those on Discord, ah, um, just don't forget, there is now the option to subscribe to the show you're listening to as well as subscribing to all the shows, does that work? Um, But if you want to subscribe, then with just one click um, uh, subscribe and then that should do it for you. I wanted to remember that. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry about the setup here, it seems to have, uh messed up now um i'll fix that later yes apologies to anyone who is watching the video you have no idea what a a janky setup i have here it's unbelievable i mean i've got anyway the light these are pegs everything's very uh (laughs) unprofessional make sure you listen like subscribe uh, uh upvote share And yes, if any of you listening in chat um, would like to now tell your friends who aren't on Discord and who have never heard of such a thing as a Discord show, but would still like to listen about these subjects, uh, then the podcast is now available on all of the podcast apps uh, that I could think of. And if you think of others, then let me know. So if you'd like to spread the word, help support, and hopefully graduate me to a slightly more Uh, professional setup, uh, green screen and otherwise, then that would be very much appreciated. Um, Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how things go. This was a first try. It's a little bit wonky, but uh, I hope it'll uh, get better from now on. Okay, we've got a few minutes left. Is there anything else in chat that I haven't seen? I can see there's lots of memes. I have to go over them afterwards. Thank you so much for for chatting and joining in. Please feel free to, uh, you know to uh, type whatever you want. I just don't always get to read it all during the show, but I do uh, go back afterwards and have a look. So, uh, yeah. Um, Wonderful. Is there a show afterwards, Rondon? Oh, and I'd like to thank those who I haven't thanked uh, who've joined while we were here. Ale? Ale Indigo. Alien go thank you for joining. Hive QA Mariano. Ah, you know what? Some of you are here for the show that's next, right? I learned from last time, because some of you I don't recognise. But welcome one and all, those who are here for my show, those who are here for the next. Uh, we, are, we are very grateful and happy for you to be here and hope to provide you with an entertaining uh experience either side of the uh hour. And uh, yes, is it next? Da-da-da-da. <laughs> post up yes post up is up uh next in two minutes and uh, wonderful show please make sure you join and oh no no of course i <laughs> i now get the uh the people who are coming early for the next show and you you sometimes catch us on a very <laughs> off topic metaphysical rather out there uh, uh uh yeah conversations so uh apologies it's out of context you gotta you gotta you gotta join for the beginning to uh to follow actually joining from the beginning might not uh allow you to follow either so i shouldn't promise that but it'll help it'll definitely help uh oh a pleasure ale indigo is that how you pronounce your name ale indigo Ail indigo i'm not sure but always a uh, pleasure and lovely to have you here Okay, so I've been all Lev. Yes, that's the end for our show. It's been uh, wonderful once again. And uh, I hope to see you all next time, next week. Until then, have a good one.